0: Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Fresh Frozen Southerner podcast. My name is Jay. I hope all is well. All right, guys. This past week, Brian Williams left his anchor position at NBC Nightly News. Now, apparently he had announced this in November and his contract had run out and he just simply decided not to renew it, or at least that's the story he's telling. If you'll remember, Brian Williams was suspended a couple of years ago because he was caught inflating his own experience and basically caught lying about some things. So it may have not been 100% his decision, but he signed off the air and he gave a very strange monologue. Now, as he was signing off on Thursday for the final time, he gave a short little speech, sort of a farewell address. And if you haven't heard it, this is what he said. After 28 years of Peacock logos on much of what I own, it is my choice now to jump without a net into the great unknown. A little sidebar here, uh, Brian Williams is worth about $50 million, so it's not quite like he's leaving a steady paycheck and is going to try his hand at being a starving artist. But please, ladies and gentlemen, keep Brian Williams in your thoughts and prayers. Just him and his millions of dollars are really stepping into unknown territory. I mean, he may be out on the street by now, for all we know. I mean, who knows? You take that kind of a risk in your career, You could wind up in a homeless shelter by the end of the weekend, so positive vibes are needed, people. Do not let Brian Williams fall through the cracks. But he continued, as I do, for the first time in my 62 years, my biggest worry is for my country. I am neither liberal nor conservative, but an institutionalist. And I believe the country is in dire straits, and those in positions of power should be held accountable for the deteriorating conditions between Americans and their government. I believe in this place, and in my love of country, I yield to no one. But the darkness at the edge of town has spread to the main roads and highways and neighborhoods. It's now at the local bar and at the bowling alley, at the school board and the grocery store, and it must be acknowledged and answered for. Grown men and women who swore an oath to the Constitution, elected by their constituents, possessing the kinds of college degrees I could only dream of, have decided to join the mob and become something they are not, while hoping we somehow forget who they were. They've decided to burn it all down with us inside. And that should scare you to no end, as much as it scares an aging volunteer fireman. Is Brian Williams a volunteer fireman? Was he talking about himself there? I just can't see the phone ringing at 2 a.m. and he leaping into his car to go put out a house fire. I, I feel like that if he is, it's probably more of an honorary title. I'm not sure why that was thrown in there. Maybe he's talking about somebody else. And, and I don't know. Like I say, I don't watch NBC Nightly News. I don't follow Brian Williams' career. Maybe he legitimately is a volunteer fire fireman. If he is, I have respect for that, and my apologies for sounding crass, but I just feel like that that was thrown in as just sort of a look at what a good person I am kind of thing. Of course, there's always a possibility he was talking about somebody else, and I simply did not get the reference. But that just seemed really odd. But I want to talk about the the politicians he's referencing and claiming to not be liberal. What politicians is he talking about? And if you're going to claim that you're not a liberal after working for 20 years for the propaganda arm of the Democratic National Committee, where do you get off doing that? You can't work for a news agency that has went to bat for one party for years has covered up stories that made Democrats look bad, has conflated stories to try to make conservatives look bad. You can't do that for 20 years and then suddenly pretend like you weren't on board the whole time. And maybe he wasn't. Maybe that's why he left MSNBC. Maybe he got sick of not being a journalist and working for a quote-unquote news agency that spent all their time trying to fabricate hit pieces for conservatives while running interference for liberals, maybe that's why he left. I don't think that after 20 years that's just suddenly going to pop up. You're going to grow a moral conscience and say, you know what, I can't do this anymore. That's just not something that happens very often. The saying that people can change, yes, they can. Most people don't. Most people, who they are at 13 is who they are at 73, and they're not going to change their minds. Even if they see evidence that they should, they're simply going to dig their heels in and push back even harder. Now, obviously, it is possible that he's had some kind of change of heart if that's why he left, and if so, I don't want to put that down because it's always better late than never. But in that situation, you should not go on national TV and grandstand about how horrible things are. When you had a big hand in getting things to where they are now, and I don't want to sound too cynical, but I've seen this many, many times through the 47 years I've been on this planet, usually when somebody leaves a very high-profile position like this rather suddenly, I know he did announce it a little bit in advance, but still, a month to leave a job that high-profile is a bit unusual. It's usually because they're leaving before something bad comes out in the press, Most of the time when people leave very high-paying positions of power, especially when you're front and center of the nightly news every night, when somebody leaves a position like that suddenly, it's usually they're cashing their chips and getting out while the getting's good before something hits the fan. And I just get the feeling that there's something that's going to come out in a month or two that puts him leaving in a completely different light. Again, possibly I'm wrong. I'm usually not. There's something else going on here for him to to give the speech that he gave and just cut and run suddenly like that. There's more to the story than just, I'm tired of being on the news, I'm going to go do something else. Maybe that's all this is, but I'm going to be keeping a very close eye on this story going forward because I'm telling you, there's something that's going to come out that we're all going to say, oh, that's why he didn't want to have his face plastered all over the news and still be the anchor of NBC Nightly News. But I'll be watching, and I will uh, I will keep tabs on what's going on here, because there's something going on here, I guarantee you. All right, guys, I'd like to shift gears a little bit, and I want to discuss somebody that probably most of you don't know. I certainly did not know until I've seen some stories here recently about her. It's a woman named Kelly Sue DeConnick. Now, Kelly Sudaconic works in the comic book industry. Uh, she's worked for about twenty years, so she she has some talent, apparently, because we weren't doing the diversity hires quite as heavily as we are now. Uh, but she has worked over the years. She's worked on uh, Avengers Assemble, Captain Marvel, Pretty Deadly, and Bitch Planet. Uh, Those last two, I have never heard of. I'm not very heavily into comics. Uh, But most recently, she has been working, or she is currently writing, for Aquaman for DC. Now, the reason I'm bringing her up is in 2017, she was giving an interview in which she was discussing her feminist views and very strong political views. And a lot of the fans were worried, as she took over Aquaman in 2018, that she was going to start weaving a very woke narrative into her comic books. Uh, she was appeared to be rather upset by this. Uh, she got very boisterous a couple of times during the interview. She was talking about how comic books have always been political, and that she was going to write her Aquaman story. And at one point in the interview, she said, You know, it's pretty simple. If you don't like my politics, don't read my books. And it's not just that she said that very stupid thing into a microphone. The smarmy, I can't believe I'm even having to talk to you about this, attitude that she put into that statement will blow your mind. And please, I'm not speaking hyperbole here. Uh, that clip is all over YouTube. I Trust me, check it out for yourself. You will not believe just the vitriol and derision And condescension that is in that woman's voice when she says that. Like I say, this has been in the news very recently uh, because she has given another interview. Uh, The Aquaman sales are tanking. Now, that's nothing really out of the ordinary. Comic book sales are down quite a bit. Aquaman is down significantly, even compared with the trend of the rest of the industry. And she is now lamenting the state of the comic book industry. Well, Mr. Connick, I I apologize, but when you tell your fans basically to go F themselves, they're not going to buy your book. You asked, you demanded that your fans do not buy your book, and now you can't figure out why they're not buying your book. This really doesn't seem like a super hard math equation to work out to me, but apparently Mr. Connick does not understand that when you go out of your way to piss off the people that you're hoping consume your product— It's not good for business. Now, I know there is a trend in the industry to hire these very woke individuals to write these very politically charged stories that are pushing a narrative. And then when these things fail, and I would say if, but they almost 100% of the time, people don't want to consume that crap. Well, then they've got the fallback position of, well, this is just people that, you know, they are they don't like that it was written by a woman. They don't like, like that it was written by a person of color. You know, they don't, these are white supremacists and they just don't want to read anything that falls outside of their 1957 worldview. And I always thought that that was just a defense mechanism. That was, you know, the producers of this stuff, they knew the story wasn't very well written. They knew that the people that they had hired didn't have a lot of talent or a lot of experience. And this was just their way of deflecting any criticism to the end product, because they knew that it wasn't going to be good from the get-go, but they don't, you know, obviously they're not going to go to their investors and say, hey, we have got a really mediocre product we're going to spit out here. Uh, We're going to lose money. Thanks for investing. And I'll talk to you after the total numbers are in. You know, obviously they're not going to go and say that. And one of the problem with all this woke story writing is there is a plot structure, In writing, you see it in books, you see it in movies. It's called The Hero's Journey. And it follows a very basic formula. And like I say, you have seen this in movies a thousand times. Uh, The hero of the story, it starts out, he's very young and experienced. He's a nobody. A lot of times he's from out in the boonies and very, very naive about the world around him. And when he begins his journey, they will generally have an older, more experienced mentor that will bring them along. Uh, Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars, like I say, you've seen this over and over and over. It's It gets used all the time in novels and movies. The problem you run into when you've got these people that are trying to write a feminist story or a very woke story, they just cannot bring themselves to write a flawed character. They want their antagonist, the female hero, the hero of color, whoever it is, they want that person to be perfect. They do not want to show them have any flaws, make any mistakes, have no weaknesses, be perfect, everybody loves them. And the problem with that is that's not a good way to write a story. It introduces a lot of problems into your narrative that they've either got to pretend isn't there or they write these very clunky reasons to try to get around it. Number one, you can't have a story arc if your character is already perfect at the beginning. They can't learn through failure. They can't be taught any new powers or skills. They can't learn through their experiences because they're already perfect. And a great example of this is the Captain Marvel movie that came out a couple of years ago. You, Carol Danvers was completely overpowered. Uh, She was perfect at everything. Everybody was just in awe of what a great person she was. The only conflict that her character went through was figuring out that the evil white guy that was sort of her superior had brainwashed her into thinking that she was not nearly as powerful as she actually was. And that leads us to the second big problem with having these perfect characters is you really can't do anything, particularly in a superhero movie or a comic book, and that's the issue is that you can't have any kind of stakes in your story. If you've made your character completely overpowered and all but invincible, what is the danger of them going into any situation? They're going to win every fight easily, they're going to outsmart any foe. Everything is just going to fall right in line. And if you'll notice in the Avengers game that had Captain Marvel in them, quote-unquote, because she was only in two, two two-and-a-half-hour movies, she was only on screen for maybe ten minutes, is you can't have her show up to a fight because she can just obliterate everybody. The fight would instantly be over. It's kind of the same thing with uh, Quicksilver. In the X-Men movies, they don't really do much with Quicksilver because, I mean, if he can move quickly enough that the world around him seems to be standing still, he can pretty much end every fight instantly. There's no drama in that. There's no danger to the heroes. It just completely lets all the air out of your narrative, trying to say, hey, this is a threat to our heroes, and they have to overcome it. But like I say, these these very feminist writers, and I'm not putting down women writers. I'm sure there are a ton of them that are very good. I read all kinds of novels. I read about 40 novels a year, most of the time, I have no idea who wrote the book that I'm reading. Uh, now, if I'm reading you know, like Stephen King or something from Robert Heinlein, obviously I know who that is. But a lot of times I'm buying books off of Amazon. It's just I'm searching for stories now to read because I've went through all my favorite authors, all of their catalogs, and I'm just reading new authors. And most of the time, I'm not looking at the, who the author is. I'm reading the byline for the book and trying to decide if that sounds like a good story or not. So I'm probably reading a lot of really good novels that are written by women, and I don't care who wrote the book. Is the story good? That's the only thing I'm interested in when I purchase a book off Amazon. And what you're running into in a lot of these TV shows, the movies that are being written from a very woke perspective, where they just cannot bring themselves to follow the hero's journey, they have to short-circuit that because they don't want to show their character have any kind of a weakness in any situation. You have completely let the air out of your narrative. There are no stakes. There's nothing in danger. The outcome is never in question, and that's not a good way to tell a story. And the reason I'm bringing up Kelly Sue DeConnick right now is because there is also a show on HBO Max called Santa Incorporated that was written by Seth Rogen and Sarah Silverman. Now, the synopsis for Santa Incorporated is that the Santa Claus is getting old, and in this story. Santa Claus is not a person, it's more of a title. As Santa Claus gets older and retires, he's replaced by somebody new. Seth Rogen voices the current Santa Claus that is getting close to retirement. Sarah Silverman plays an elf that is trying to become the next Santa Claus. And the the gist of the story is why is Santa Claus always a white guy? Why can't it be a female elf? I have not watched Santa Inc. Number one, I don't have HBO Max, so I'm not going to stream it. The reviews for this show are absolutely atrocious. Um, on Metacritic, it is 1.2 out of a possible 10. On Google reviews, it is getting 8%. On Rotten Tomatoes, there are not enough critic reviews for it to even have a score. The user score from the people is was 4% the last time I checked. I don't know if it's went up or down. But this show was pretty much universally being panned. And Seth Rogen tweeted out something that really just rubbed me the wrong way. At a point about two weeks ago, most of the review sites, you can see how many likes a show has versus how many dislikes. At one point a couple of weeks ago, Santa Incorporated had about 2,000 likes and over 12,000 dislikes, which is a terrible like-to-dislike ratio for any show. Seth Rogen tweeted out that, boy, we have managed to piss off 10,000 white supremacists with the show Santa Incorporated. Now, I mentioned earlier that I really thought for a long time that choosing these very woke people to work on these shows and these very diverse hires was a way to deflect criticism because you could say, you know, it's just that, you know, they don't like who wrote it. They don't like the message. I'm starting to change my mind. I think these people believe this stuff. I think Seth Rogen believes that all of those dislikes were from card-carrying clan members who just cannot deal with the fact that possibly Santa Claus would be a female elf. Obviously, any rational people understand that, no, your show is crap, nobody wants to see this mean-spirited stuff that's preachy and basically telling anybody that watches the show, you're a terrible person, you need to be like me, I'm perfect, and I'm great, and that is the reason why you don't like my show. It certainly could not possibly be that I wrote a bad show that nobody wants to watch. It has to be that you're a horrible person, because everything I do is amazing and fantastic, and anybody with a brain would see how great this show is. I honestly believe that's what these people believe at this point. I keep waiting for Hollywood to figure out that the Go Woke, Go Broke slogan is 100% accurate uh, because, I've said it before, the only thing Hollywood likes better than being on the leading edge of whatever social issues are out there is making money. And this particular social trend is not making them money. It is costing them hundreds of millions of dollars every year. But they keep making this kind of schlock. And I was watching a YouTube video where people were talking about Santa Eek, and it was sort of a round table. There was five or six YouTube personalities talking about Santa Incorporated. And one of those individuals said, I don't understand why Hollywood thinks that this is what we want to see. One of the other commentators on that video spoke up and said, it's not that they think you want to see it. It's that they think you need to see it. And that is one of the most true statements I've heard in a long time, because that's the only thing it can be right now. They honestly believe that all these dislikes and the terrible ratings and the terrible reviews are coming from very emotionally stunted, racist, homophobic, xenophobic people that just simply can't deal with anything being out of what they consider the norm. I really think that those people believe that at this point. You know, I thought it was just a defense mechanism, Now I'm starting to believe it is just 100% pure raging narcissism. And by the way, just in case anybody is listening to this and would like to know why Santa Claus is generally depicted as a white man, that is because our character of Santa Claus is based almost 100% on the character of Sinterklaas, which comes from Dutch mythology. I don't know if you've noticed, Dutch people are white Europeans. Now, I don't have a problem if a commercial or TV show casts a black man as Santa Claus or a Latino as Santa Claus or, hell, it could be an Eskimo woman. I really don't concern myself with that too much. I do have one question, though. If you do cast against race for Santa Claus, wouldn't that be cultural appropriation? Or does that phenomenon only go in one specific direction? All right, guys, that is about all I've got for you today. Uh, If you enjoyed the show, I would love to get a like and a comment from you guys. And if you really want to show me some love, please consider subscribing to the show. As always, you can leave me a comment at freshrosensoutherner at gmail.com. Or you can go to the Fresh Frozen Southerner Facebook page. All right, guys, once again, thank you very much for sitting with me. I do appreciate it. I hope everybody has a good rest of the work week. And we'll talk again right before the weekend. Thank you very much, and I'll talk to you soon.